0: We believe that the scriptures teach that an elder is a pastor, and a pastor is an elder, and shepherd, and overseer. All those terms are um, speaking of the same role in the church. And at Grace Life, we believe in a plurality of elders. And uh, so I want to mention them by name because I don't want to just assume that you guys know who all the elders are. Uh, But Jesse, who uh, just did the announcements, he's one of the elders, Mike Tucker, Randy Arnold, Nate Carey, uh, and myself, And as well, Mike Conklin is an elder in process. And the process to becoming an elder is a a minimum of a year. There's a lot of reading and uh, hands-on ministry that's part of that. And uh, so those are the guys that are serving in those roles. And uh, you guys tend to see me more often as I'm kind of the primary teaching guy. Um, But you do get a fair share of the other fellows as well. And I'm so glad to see each one of them get up and, and preach and share what God's put on their hearts as well. And uh, we'll continue to see more of that throughout the year. I hope you guys had a Merry Christmas. I had a merry and quiet Christmas as uh, my family was in Louisiana from Christmas Day until yesterday, and I'm very glad that they're back. I think think everybody was a little bit worried about me or something because I was uh, good and fed this week. So thank you to all who took care of me during this week. So uh, it's it's the new year, and I kind of began thinking about what this first Sunday of the year would be about as far as the sermon goes, uh, probably about six months ago. And I kind of had something, I think a drop of water just hit me in the forehead, <laughs> um, I kind of had something on my mind, and it wasn't water, um, all the way back six months ago until about Monday. Uh, that went out the door and I totally changed directions. So that's often how it goes, I suppose. But So today, uh, what I feel like the Lord has put on my heart for us this morning is to look at the book of Philemon. Uh, some people pronounce it Philemon. Uh, and I think that that's probably the most correct pronunci- pronunciation, but I'm just going to continue to say Philemon because that's what I grew up saying. Um, but I'm doing something today I'm not entirely sure anybody's ever done at Grace Life, and that's, I'm going to preach an entire book of the Bible in one Sunday. So hang on tight, we're going to be here for 12 hours. No, I'm kidding, because uh, it's not all that impressive when you consider that Philemon is one of the shortest books in the Bible, one chapter and only 25 verses, so it's not that daunting of a task. But as we unpack this letter from Paul to Philemon, we're going to look at two things, gospel belief, and gospel culture. So let's read Philemon. Starting in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would, have, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time... Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this new year. Uh, We thank you for all the mercies and grace that you've given to us Um, In 2021 and just continue to ask that you would uh, do the same new mercies and new grace every morning Every day as we head into this new year Uh, We ask that you would please just speak to us this morning that you would open our eyes to see what your word has to say In jesus name. amen. Amen So this letter from the apostle paul was likely written around 62 ad during his first imprisonment in rome When Paul introduces this letter with Paul, a prisoner for Christ, uh, he's not speaking metaphorically. He's literally in a prison uh, for Christ. It's not some kind of uh, clever way of of talking about uh, his relationship with the Lord. He really is bound by chains in prison. And he writes this letter to a fellow believer named Philemon. But as we read in the first verse, Uh, and the second verse, he intends this letter to be read to Philemon, his family, and to his church that's meeting in his home. So the letter that's uh, written here has a purpose. It's a personal letter. um, And the purpose of the letter is really to appeal to Philemon for restoration of the former slave Onesimus. Onesimus had at one time been a bond slave of Philemon. And we don't know the circumstances, but apparently at some point in time, something occurred and Onesimus ran away. He sought out Paul uh, while he was imprisoned in Rome. And during this time, Onesimus comes uh, to believe in Christ for salvation and becomes a dear friend of Paul's and fellow laborer in the work that Paul was doing even while in prison. And the the family of Philemon, Philemon, they, they lived in Colossae, Um, the city that would eventually receive the letter Colossians, um, which is located in modern-day Turkey. And Philemon was a wealthy and a generous brother in the Lord. But one of the things that's perhaps the most difficult to grapple with as we read through a letter like this is the topic of slavery, uh, which is really kind of the setting, the backdrop for what's going on here. Slavery is an abhorrent and evil practice, But yet what we see here is that in Roman times, it was a universal practice. Uh, Some estimate that up to 30% of the population of the Roman world was in slavery or serving as bond servants. But slavery during the times of the Romans did look a little bit differently than what maybe we're more familiar with. It it wasn't necessarily a racial element to it. Um, People would put themselves into slavery uh, often as a means of settling debts. Um, also, slavery was often the judicial punishment for somebody who had broken the law. And so, uh, slavery was a common thing. And one of the things that we're going to see as we read through this letter is how the gospel changes how we, as believers, relate to one another. These old-class distinctions uh, that were prevalent in the Roman world, uh, the barriers and, and Society issues that were at stake are done away with through the gospel and the way that we as brothers and sisters in Christ relate to each other is different as we're placed in a family with equal value. So I think that's important for us to see and one of the things that I'm aiming to show us today is that the good news of Jesus will bear fruit in our lives. That is not like the culture we come from. It's not fitting the standards of the world. The culture that the gospel shapes, the relationships that the gospel will create are based solidly on a new identity in Christ. Simply put, the gospel transforms us from the inside out, where most of the world is all about the external. It's all about what you do and how you behave and how well you treat people, uh, but they don't really care about what's on the inside. The gospel shapes us and conforms us to the image of Christ from the inside out. By God's grace... People are reconciled to God and reconciled to one another, and our relationships are transformed. We had our prayer meeting on Friday night, and one of the prayers that I've had for Grace Life coming into this new year, and I kind of shared a little bit on this on Friday night, but it's that we continue to see the gospel, the gospel transforming how we, brothers and sisters in Christ, relate to one another that we see real community developed here, not superficial friendships or acquaintances, uh, but real familial relationships where we love one another and serve one another. And that's one of the things I'm going to unpack today. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ conforms us into his image as we're part of the family of Christ. So we're going to look at that a little bit today. But let's look at gospel belief first. Uh, This letter to Philemon is different in many ways from Paul's other letters. It's the shortest by far. Um, It's only one chapter. And, of course, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't put chapter and verses in it. Uh, He just wrote a letter. Uh, Those things were added for our benefit later. Um, Chapters and verses are are not um, inspired. Um, They're just a helpful tool. Normally, Paul's style when he writes is to proclaim doctrine... And then to expand on that and show how that doctrine applies to our daily lives. To show how we live within uh, those, those wonderful gospel truths. So normally Paul writes you know, for a few chapters about the wonders of God's grace and mercy. And then he applies that to our lives. He shows that any command that we receive is grounded first in the doneness. And I know that's not correct. The doneness of the gospel. So it's from resting in the finished work of Christ that we can now walk in the good works that he's prepared for us. Let's read verses 3 through 7 again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So there's a few things that I want to pull out here. First, the greeting that Paul gives is really typical of all of his letters. Um, Even in greeting his audience, the gospel comes out. Normally, when, when letters are written at that time, uh, they would first start by giving their name, then the name of the recipient, and then kind of a standard greeting, you know, greetings, my friend, and then they would get into the heart of the letter. But Paul's greeting uh, is just kind of oozing gospel grace, and it's, it's in most of his letters almost identical to this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes immediately that God the Father is the giver of grace and peace through the work of Jesus Christ. And so this simple greeting is full of gospel doctrine. And as believers, we can rejoice knowing that by believing the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, this grace flows to us and we have the peace of God. In Romans 5, uh, 1 and 2, Paul writes to the church of Rome uh, about this same grace and peace. He writes, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So there is a richness of theological truth in Paul's greeting. It's not just simple, hey, how are you doing? He's pointing to the grace and peace that we have with God because of Jesus Grace is the favor of God given freely to ill-deserving people. It's something that is uniquely Christian. Other religions don't have this. It's what sets Christianity apart. Jesus, the Son of God, gives himself freely to people while they are still sinners. Through his finished work on the cross, he freely gives those who repent and believe the forgiveness of their sins. The peace he talks about is more than just the absence of strife. It's more than just a quiet home when you're seven-year-old's in Louisiana. <laughs> the understanding that Paul would have had as a Jew, understanding what shalom means, what peace means, uh, carries the idea of reconciliation to God and receiving the peace that only God can offer. So there's peace with God. Our hearts reconciled to him. The, the enmity and strife that we once had between us and God is done away with and we're welcomed in. And then as well, there is the peace that he gives us, that only he can give us, that calms our hearts. Both these amazing things, grace and peace, are only brought about to us through Christ's saving work, given freely to us by God. The commentator Gordon Fee writes, In a profound sense, this greeting therefore nicely represents Paul's larger theological perspective. The sum total of God's activity towards his human creatures is found in the word grace. God has given himself to his people bountifully and mercifully in Christ. Paul then proceeds to thank God for the evidence of the belief that Philemon has in the good news of Jesus. So he doesn't necessarily elaborate on a lot of doctrine here, but there's lots of evidence of it when he points to the life of Philemon. In verse 5, Paul mentions the love and faith that Philemon has for the Lord Jesus and for the saints. In verse 6, he uses an unusual phrase, the sharing of your faith. What Paul is talking about is the fellowship in Christ that all believers share in together. Paul is giving honor to the Lord for the love and faith that Philemon has shown as he has believed the gospel. He's giving thanks for how he shares this love and faith with the body of Christ in Colossae. He has believed the truth and is walking in the works that God has prepared for him. So the gospel has shaped Philemon in such a way that as he's continually being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is evident. And the bless, is blessing the other believers that he is sharing life with. You know, I believe, and I've mentioned this on more than one occasion, that the purpose of our sanctification is less about me and myself and more about my brothers and sisters in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is not for my isolated walk with the Lord, but it's to benefit others. It's to benefit you. And in that... We truly see what God is doing as he knits our hearts together. Paul says at the end of verse 7, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I think that's a really cool way to say what God is doing uh, in, in Philemon's life. He's refreshing others. And of course, Philemon is partaking of that as well as people refresh him. But this is what belief in the gospel does. It bears fruit. That fruit will be evident in our relationships in our friendships, and our love for one another. There will be fruit there. Another way to see it, as Ray Ortland has said, gospel belief creates gospel culture. It's what happens when gospel doctrine gets in there. And so let's look at gospel culture. In verses 8 through 21, we see the purposes of Paul's letter. He has a request for Philemon. Notice as we read this, how Paul appeals to love rather than commanding or coercing. Starting in verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So there's a lot here. Uh, We see that Onesimus has been born again. He has believed the gospel. He's become a tremendous help to Paul. Paul goes as far to call Onesimus his own child, his very heart. Paul obviously cares greatly for this young man. Paul knows that reconciliation does need to take place uh, between Philemon and Onesimus. And so it's at great cost to Paul. Uh, he, he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. And in this request, he doesn't command or coerce, but he appeals to love. He appeals to what Christ has done in Philemon's heart and life. He appeals to that uh, so that they would be reconciled because God has reconciled Philemon to himself. Paul writes with great warmth and tenderness and is requesting that this same warmth and tenderness is directed towards Onesimus. More than anything, I think what stands out to me in this appeal is what we see in verses 15 and 16. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So the gospel frees us from our old distinctions. It frees us from our old identities and places us in the family of God. Onesimus is not a slave. He's not a runaway. He's a beloved brother. This is the fundamental relationship between believers in Christ. We are now forgiven brothers and sisters. Our status, wealth, ethnicity, family background, our education, or anything else comes secondary to our identity in Christ. That is how we relate to one another primarily. Paul's appeal gets to the heart of how we treat one another as Christians. As brothers and sisters, our interactions are transformed because the grace of God has transformed us in our very heart. And so the power that's in the gospel has power to change people's hearts. It changes our identity, but it can also change how we relate to one another. I've often heard it said that the friendships that you see in a church... Um, Are very different than the friendships that you see in the world Friendships in the world have a lot to do with what I can gain out of this what I can benefit Whereas the relationships in the church amongst fellow believers is what can I do for you? How can I love you? We might not normally hang out if we had never been born again We all have various tastes various affinities But there's something special about being a believer in christ that binds us together it's the Spirit of God. So the gospel transforms us. And there are several things that stick out to me as we consider this transformation. Paul, when he wrote this, was a prisoner in Rome for Christ. He was in literal chains. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Philemon was a wealthy man who owned slaves. But all at one time had been slaves to the bondage and chains of sin. And it was the power of the gospel that transformed their lives and united them in Christ as brothers in the Lord. These three guys would not call each other brothers except for the work of Christ in their lives. Galatians uh, 3.28 and 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, Heirs according to promise. Paul says that in Christ there's no Jew or Greek well, which means Gentile. Those who are in Christ are sons and daughters of God through faith. Again showing us that these old distinctions, these old identities don't uh, identify us any longer. Paul goes on in Philippians to tell us that our citizenship is no longer here in this world either. Philippians 3:20 our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So even our national identity is not primary. In fact, we're strangers in this land. We're exiles in this land. So the United States or whichever country your citizenship is in is not your home. We're just passing through. And yes, it does have implications for our lives here. And so I'm not saying you just abandon it and don't care. But it's not your primary identity. Your home is ultimately in heaven. And because we've been transformed, how we treat one another is transformed as well. James, in his book, gives us a warning against showing partiality. And partiality is giving preference to any of these former distinctions, such as wealth or ethnicity or anything else, including political identities. So there is power in the gospel to change and to transform. It flows from the inside out, gospel belief producing this wonderful fruit as we, like a tree, bury deep roots in the fertile soil of God's grace. The fruit will be produced. And I want to talk for a moment this morning about four areas I think we see gospel culture reflected in this letter to Philemon. And these are areas that we can see flourish here at Grace Life by God's grace. In these four areas, there will be some overlap because, I mean, really, they kind of all flow together out of God's grace and the work of the Spirit in us. Uh, but these four things are love, family, forgiveness, and mission. So the first area of gospel culture is love. And really, you could take faith here as well based on what we see of Philemon. I mentioned already that Philemon showed evidence of his belief through love and faith for the Lord Jesus and the saints. Love is one of the fruits of the Spirit, talked about in Galatians 5. As we believe the good news, love and faith are produced. Both are gifts of God. He's producing these in us as part of our sanctification by His grace. And Paul writes in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Love is for one another. It benefits others. Not looking to my own interests, but serving others. This is definitely not a natural thing in me. In my fallen condition, I seek the betterment of myself. I seek me first that as God has transformed my life and continues to change my life, my desires are being transformed as well. And so I begin to seek what pleases Him and what benefits others. And love seeks to serve others. Familiar passage, 1 Corinthians 13. We often use this in wedding ceremonies and it's a a wonderful description of what biblical love is. But I want to read verses 4 through 7. Now, when I'm speaking of this um, by using this word family, I'm talking about what we've seen in this letter to Philemon. So it's not really speaking of our natural, natural family relations, um, though the gospel does indeed have much to say about that. But what we're focusing on today is the family of God. We have been grafted into a family. We've been placed in a family by the saving work of Christ. So just as the gospel transformed Onesimus from being a runaway slave to a brother in the Lord, we too find ourselves with a transformed relationship to one another. We are family, brothers and sisters. We have not been saved to an isolated religion. We've not been saved to a private faith. We've been saved into a family. Our culture, shaped by the gospel, can be tighter knit than the social identities and communities that are out there in the world There's a bond we share because of our union in Christ that goes far deeper than the world could ever know or experience. Our bond is not along political lines, social lines, ethnic lines, um, or a myriad of other things that are important to us. Our bonds are in Christ. What unites us, what links us together, is far deeper than all these other things. And again, that's not to say that those things aren't important. But what's primary is our bond in Christ that unites us. Paul calls us God's children. And therefore, because we believe, we are family. Romans eight fourteen through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. John also calls us God's children in 1 John 3, 1-2. through 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. The third area is forgiveness. And forgiveness is definitely seen in Paul's appeal to Philemon. In verse, verses 17 through 19, Paul shows us that an integral part of this reconciliation is forgiveness. And there's a lot to unpack about forgiveness and how to apply it to our brothers and sisters in Christ when we've been offended. Um, And I know that this is a a really deep issue, and so um, I don't have enough time to delve into all of it, Um, but just know that I am not by any means trying to diminish any hurt that might have been experienced by anybody um, by just simply presenting this idea of, like, easy forgiveness. I'll just let it go. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. Uh, one of the things that stuck with me for some time now um, that our brother Tom shared with us one time is that forgiveness is not giving a pass to somebody as if to say, oh, it doesn't matter what you did. It's actually showing how much it matters because it mattered enough that Jesus died on the cross for that forgiveness. So there's great cost to forgiveness and to forgive one another. In, In that sense, it's turning it over to Christ and allowing him to deal with it. So I do uh, just want to mention that at the the beginning here, that I don't want to diminish any hurt that anybody's experienced. But what I do want to bring out that is a part of gospel culture um, is that it is a culture of forgiveness. It's a culture of not holding sins or preferences even against somebody um, when they've offended you. Forgiveness is a release of the offense. It is giving the offense and the offender over to Christ. It is recognizing the forgiveness of sins that Christ has given to your brother or sister in Christ and agreeing with God that their sins have been forgiven. Now, we are specifically talking about believers. I also want to make that clear. We're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, so when we are agreeing with God that their sins are forgiven, we're, we're talking about people that have believed in Christ. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness also carries the idea of carrying or bearing one another's burden. Forgiveness is rarely simple, and it's never easy. It can be a process, and in that process, you need the grace of God uh, in order to forgive. So as you're releasing the offense by grace you're also bearing the burden of the one that has sinned against you. In some sense, you're coming underneath the burden and sharing it with them. Colossians 3.13 Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So the aim of forgiveness and bearing one another's burden is restoration. And because we are part of this new family, With this new identity and this new culture brought about by what Christ has done, we really want to see each other thrive and flourish and grow in freedom and grace. That's what we want for one another. We don't want to see somebody bound by unforgiveness, we don't want to see somebody bound by sin and offenses. We see this bearing of of burdens in verses 18 and 19 of Philemon when Paul offers to share in the burden with Philemon by offering to pay for anything that Onesimus might owe. Now, one of the things that some scholars believe about Onesimus is that when he ran away, part of the reason he ran away might be because he stole from Philemon. Paul is offering while in prison. I don't know what his financial status was, but he definitely wasn't working wasn't making tents during this time. He's offering to cover whatever it was that Onesimus had taken. He's offering to bear this burden so that Philemon can freely forgive. Galatians 6 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When there is an offense, not if, but when. Because remember, we're family. So when there's an offense, I mean, let's be honest, we just got through the holidays. I don't know how many of you sat at a table with extended family and picked up some offenses. We know it happens. You don't always get to pick the family you're in. But because we're family, there will be offenses. Let us aim to restore fellowship. Let us aim for forgiveness. Let us deal gently with one another and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love God and love one another. In this culture of love and family and forgiveness, we are free to be honest with one another. We are free to confess our sins when we offend somebody because we know ultimately that our brother or sister in Christ wants our benefit. They want to bear this burden with us. And also, I know that my brother or sister is going to proclaim the gospel to me. That's what gospel culture produces. The fourth and final area of this gospel culture that I want to highlight is mission. Where we see these other things at work, love, family, and forgiveness, mission will be the natural outflow. It's going to kind of bubble up because you can't really bottle something like this up. You, it's going to surface when this is what the culture of your church is like. People will take notice. Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so as we love one another, serving each other and forgiving one another, people will take notice and say, you know, there's something different about those people at Grace Life. The same love can be turned outward as well. As you have opportunity and grace to do so, share the message of Christ and his gospel with those who have not yet heard. Share this faith and love with your neighbors. Proclaim Christ to them that he's died for their sins. And that they too can experience the forgiveness and grace and community that you're experiencing as well. Invite them in. You know, when we experience something we love, part of what completes that joy uh, that we have is to invite others into it. You know, when I read a good book or watch a good TV show, I usually talk with Jesse and say, hey man, have you seen this? Have you read this? You know, you know when, when The Mandalorian came out, you know, I didn't just sit in my nerd corner and just enjoy it and keep it all to myself. I probably talked about it way too much with other people until they watched it as well. The jury's still out about the book of Boba Fett. We'll get there. Why do we share the things that we love? Because it completes our joy in it When we invite others into it, we've discovered that Olive uh, seems to enjoy video games. And um, I know that that is somewhat of a touchy subject with some people. But, you know, as her parents, we monitor what she's doing and and keep it pretty locked down. But um, one of the ways that we do that and also help her experience joy with it is that we sit down with her and watch her do it. We participate in it with her we watch her and hear her talk about all that she's doing. And in that, she shares her joy with it. She loves to do that. You know, she actually, when she was in Louisiana, she invited one of her grandmothers, uh, Nene, as we call her, Chanel's mom, to come sit down with her and just watch what she was doing. And Nancy, my mother-in-law, just was telling Chanel, like, it was just fun to hear her describe what she was doing. She was building something in Minecraft, and you know, she's like, "It's just fun to see like the way her brain works and the creativity that's there and the joy that's expressed in that." When I have something that I enjoy, I want others to experience it. You know, when you have a good meal, you have a good steak. That you might want to keep to yourself, but you want to tell people about it at least because it completes your joy to share it with others, at least the experience. You might not get a bite. Out of the abundance of God's grace at work in us and each other, we can invite others to share in this family and this experience and in this community as well. And I think this is what we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We're pretty familiar with that passage, I'm sure, by now. praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is gospel culture. And I believe that God will add to our number those who are being saved as we see this flourishing in our in our church in our family here. Paul closes this letter to Philemon with a simple closing. He mentions some fellow laborers who send their greeting, but remember nothing Paul writes is meaningless as these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The last verse that Paul writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. With this, he grounds all that has come before in this letter in the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace is that favor we spoke of before, but there's another aspect of grace uh, that I think is important for us to catch here, and that it is the divine power to live this out. It's the divine power to do all these things that we've talked about. Because you might ask yourself, how do we do this? How do we see these four areas flourish at grace life? Well, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that will be with your spirit. That's how. It's his divine power. The grace that took a runaway slave and made him a brother. The grace that took a former persecutor of the church. The guy who held the coats of all those who stoned um, Stephen made him an apostle. The grace that took Philemon and compelled him to release his runaway slave. This is the grace that is going to do this in our hearts and lives as well. And you might ask, did did Philemon reconcile with Onesimus? Well, I don't know for certain. But there is a grave that was discovered in Laodicea, which is just like a stone's throw away from Colossae. And there's an inscription um, that says says Onesimus, freed by, um, gives the full name, Marcus something Philemon. We don't know for certain if that's the grave of Onesimus, or that placard is uh, speaking of this Onesimus. I don't know how many Onesimuses were owned by guys named Philemon, but I think it's safe to say that It very well could be that God's grace changed this relationship because Christ has not only paid uh, the penalty for our sins, for Onesimus' sins, for Philemon's sins, for Paul's sins, but it gives us power. It It gave them power to live this out. And so we, through grace, supplied by the Holy Spirit, can live changed lives, lives of reconciliation and peace, Lives of unity and mutual servanthood. Lives full of love and forgiveness. Living in community. How do we love, forgive, and serve each other? Only through the grace that Christ supplies freely. What do I have to do? Believe in Christ and that His death, burial, and resurrection is enough to forgive you and supply you with the power to love one another. Enough power to forgive one another. And it's the power to see gospel culture flourish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that Christ has given to us in the gospel. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin, our guilt, and our shame. Thank you for forgiveness, and not only the forgiveness of sins, but also the power to love and to walk in the good works you have for us. I pray that the sharing of our faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us, for the sake of Christ. Lord, let your grace be sufficient for us and let your power be made perfect in our weakness, that where we are weak, there we may be strong, strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. Help us to love and to forgive. Help us to see gospel culture flourish here at Grace Life as we step into this new year. Help us to depend on your Holy Spirit for power to live this out. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.